This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We are picking up our winter series, started in the summer, Baruch Hashem, this series on Midos. And for me, this journey of Midos, um, I have to say that it's been very eye-opening. A lot of things that I've come across, I, I keep saying this over and over, but a lot of people, they think like, oh, I'm just like, I'm a nice guy or I'm a nice girl and I'm sweet and I'm kind. And that is Midos. But Midos is actually broken down. And today we're going to discover one which is so misunderstood by so many people, which when I learned this, I literally had to learn it twice because I wasn't like I wasn't sure what I was reading. And then I read it once and I was like, did I just read what I thought I read? Like, okay, let me try the whole thing, you know, all over again. So tonight's going to be a very interesting class, which I think will be a very big Chiddush, something which will be very new to most people. It certainly was new to me. I want to thank again, Chami Lemon and Shani Rosenberg for all your hard work behind the scenes. And anybody who wants to sign up, who's watching this until any time after the fact, you can always sign up at nasanail.com to join the live Zoom interaction. Um, for those of you who are here on Zoom, thank you very much for joining us. And I want to give a shout out to Torah Anytime, a world-class, probably the dominant platform for Torah, Torah education. And I have extreme hot cars to take to them every time we film. I don't necessarily thank them every time, but I really should. And I have a tremendous amount of cars that I could turn any time that streams over 10 million hours of, it's crazy. It's nuts. What the discussion these guys have is amazing. Um, also, today was Wednesday. I have no idea what the date is, but it's Wednesday, like the 13th, 12th or something like that. Um, and today we did an interview with the ladies show with Leah Rischheimer. It was mid-afternoon. It was like two o'clock. So if you work or have some other stuff going on, you may have missed it. But if you did miss it, you should go back on her anytime and watch it. It was a very interesting show with Mrs. Leah Rischheimer. That all being said, if you want to reach out to me, you can always reach me at email at marriageco.co. All right. So we live in a day and age where people, I find, find myself, let me talk about me, and a lot of people who I speak to, there is like a huge amount of anxiety in the world. Like when people are dating, they're in Shadokim, or even just general in business, this, the, the word anxiety is just like across the board, like. I'm so, I'm so anxious. I don't know. And I saw recently an interview with Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, and he was discussing this idea. And he said, I, I can't explain it. I, I don't understand why in a day and age where we have everything and nobody's out to like kill us as, as a people, right? We're like, Baruch Hashem, we're living in peaceful times with almost anything at our disposal. All of a sudden, we have like this uptick in anxiety in a way that we haven't had in, in like generations. Like, doesn't seem to make any sense. So he attributed it to various things. And he said, maybe this is almost like a combination of, or accumulatization, if that's a word, of like thousands of years, like almost being passed down, passed down, passed down until it just like sort of like explodes within like the great, 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 great grandchildren of people who've gone through traumas. He's like, I I don't know where this is caused by. But when you think about it, it's a very good question. Like, why is it that everybody today seems to be so anxious? Like, it just doesn't seem to make any sense. It's so much good. Yes, we do have bad, but like, there's not Kazakhs riding through the village, burning down everybody's homes and displacing them and sending them to another country. Like, we don't live with the amounts of fears and things that people have lived for so many generations. So why is everybody so anxious today? Like, what is going on? So today's topic is going to be patience. And the connection between patience and anxiety, I'm going to explain. We're going to build to that idea. But I, I try this out with a few people when I started reading this. And I, I asked a few people, like, what is patience? Explain patience. And to most people, when you think of the word patience, first, I don't think a lot of people even think of it as a meetup, which it is. It's one of our 
13 midos. It's going to be patience, number two. First one is menucha sanafesh. Having menucha, inner serenity, everything comes from Hashem. The second one is going to be patience. And what is patience? So most people think of patience in terms of like talking to your children and saying to them, be patient or learn patience or wait online. Don't rush. Don't push ahead. That's what I think most people think about when they think about patience. But what exactly is patience? Like what, what is it? So let's break this down. And I told you when I learned this the first time, I completely did not understand what I was reading. I was like, I don't see what this has anything to do with patience. So all the way at the end, when everything came full circle, and I was like, ah, okay, let's start this whole thing from the beginning. So I'm going to do it now for the third time. I'm going to do this little journey with you. So this is all based on a sefer called Cheshben HaNefesh, which was written in the days of Rabbi Shal Salanter. And Rabbi Shal Salanter based many of his teachings off of this machshava, these ideas that are found in this very small, beautiful, sweet, and to the point sefer. And he says there as follows. He says, everything that was created in this world, we know Hashem created the world in order to be native, in order to give to us. And along with that, if you study the world, you find that if you take any system, whether it's the ecosystem, whether it's financial systems, which are really created by man, but it's not, there's a spirituality behind money and commerce and interactivity between people, the social systems, systems within like the birds, you talk about um, um, geography, topography, all the different E's, like all the studies of things, it's, it's brilliant. The human body, it's, it's, it's brilliant in how it was created. And Hashem created it with a tremendous amount of chachma. I saw today that there was this group of Japanese engineers that were striving to create the fastest like bullet train. And they created a train that was going like hundreds of miles an hour. You get on, just like takes off like crazy. And they came up with this problem that when the train would enter into tunnels, it was going so fast that it was creating like this, not a sonic boom, but it was creating like a boom, a noise because of the wind that was hitting the front nose of the train. And they tried for a long time to try to perfect the front of the train to come out to like a perfect angle that it would be able to like allow the aerodynamics of the air going over it. Then they just couldn't figure it out. They spent a very long time. And then one guy was sitting out and he came up and he realized that there's a certain bird called the kingfisher bird. And this kingfisher bird, it flies and it, it swoops down at a very, very fast rate of speed into the water and it barely breaks the water. You ever watch like people who dive? When they dive into the water, like a perfect dive is that there's no splash. And this guy realized that birds, when this specific bird, when it dives into the water, there's almost no splash. And he studied and studied, and he realized that the beak of this bird is shaped in a very unique design that allows it to not make noise as it's flying into the water in order to catch fish. So they took this bird, they captured a few of them, and they said, let's try this out. And they modeled the train, the front of the train after this bird, and they sent it through a tunnel 100 miles an hour. And it went like 10% faster, 20% more cost efficient because there was less drag of, you know, of the wind on the train. And there was no boom. It solved the problem of this boom. And they realized like, amazing. You have this bird that's flying around. Nobody even looks at it. But the design of the bird is, is just brilliant. It's genius. That bird interacting with the things that it needs to eat around it, the worms and all the other stuff. It, it's brilliant. The world that we live in is brilliant. We know it, we just don't pay so much attention to it, but the, the complexity of world systems is, is, is incomprehensible. Hashem doesn't just create an amazing world. It creates a world that is beautiful. It has taste and it has, it has colors. It has all these things. I like photography. So now, many of you may not know this, but right now, as we speak, mid-November is the time, at least on the East Coast, I know people are joining us from all over, but on the East Coast, at least, it's the time that there's a foliage transition 
it's called fall, but I like to call it pansy. Okay, it's called the foliage transition. This is when then when all the leaves, right, they start to die. And Hashem made this amazing thing that they as it dies and all the life gets sucked out of it, it, it creates this beautiful color and you see it all over the place, the Garden State Parkway or whatever the case may be. And this is like the photographer's dream to like go out there and capture like the beautiful foliage transition. Right? Hashem created an amazing world that's not just functional, but it's also beautiful, and everything around us is amazing. And then you say, but what a minute, there's there certain things that are not good. So what's not good? So you take everything that's not good, he says in the safer. Everything that's not good actually has a purpose. Everything. Even when things start to go bad. Vinegar. There's so many foods that vinegar helps sustain the food. Even fertilizer. It's like nothing. What is it? That is the catalyst for the growth of crops. It helps break down the things that actually sustain the whole planet. So every single thing within the Bria that Hashem created has a place. It has a time. It has a purpose. It has a synergy. The interconnectivity between that and all the other things that Hashem created is really just unbelievable. And if you take a minute to just look at it, you will find so much goodness and pleasure and amazing things in this world. And Hashem, because he created the world in order to be made to, to give to us, so he created a world that is just filled with pleasure. And just simply by opening your eyes and looking out over the Grand Canyon or even a tree on the Garden State Parkway, like, wow, thank you. It's amazing, right? Eating food, wow, amazing, thank you. There's so much goodness that is just being like sent over to us all the time, and we don't necessarily take note of it, but it's there. What does that have to do with patience? We're getting there, okay? You have to have a little patience. So <laughs> today, I was walking outside my office, and I saw that there was a guy sitting in his office, which I shouldn't have noticed it, but it's like tinted windows. But as it gets later at night, and it's brighter inside the building and outside the building, so when you're walking outside the building, you're able to see inside the windows. People who don't know that should know that, but this guy obviously didn't know that. Um, and he's watching a movie, he's sitting at work, and he's watching the movie. And I'm sure his wife thinks that he's plugging away, but he's sitting there, you know, whatever. Maybe he needed a break. I'll be down with cops first. Um, but he he was clearly watching a movie. And maybe maybe his job is to create movies. I don't know. Maybe that was actually his job. I, I don't. I will be down with cops first. But this guy was watching a movie at work. Now let's assume that he was not supposed to be watching a movie for a minute. This guy, why was he watching a movie? Why does somebody smoke? Why does somebody do anything? So psychiatrists will tell you, psychologists will tell you that the, the inner motivation of a person is to seek pleasure. And there's different forms and levels of pleasure. We're familiar, I'm sure, with Noah Feinberg's, you know, five levels of pleasure. There are various levels of pleasure. And this guy, he needed to transition from a hard work day into a different form of pleasure to be able to just sit there and watch a movie and seek that kind of pleasure versus the pleasure of feeling the goodness of making money and closing a deal and doing all those things. Fine. All fine and wonderful negativity, we don't like so much. This is where we start to build. Positivity, we're all good with. Like, until this point, I say to you, like, do you know Hashem created apples? And apples come from trees, and the trees look beautiful, and the apples taste great, and they smell good, and they're like, yep, great, wonderful, check, sign me up. By the way, Hashem created a bunch of negativity in the world also. A lot of feelings that are not so good. A lot of things that are not so good. A lot of us, we don't like those feelings and we try to run away from those feelings but the same way that vinegar has its place in the world and the same way that fertilizer has its place in the world negative feelings have its place in the world and the idea is that every one of us has a neshama and our neshama is hardwired experiences negativity 
access that negativity and to ask its neshama, what is this negativity telling me? And there's three levels to this. The first level is called anxiety. What anxiety is, it's a negative feeling. We don't often think of it like this, but what it is, anxiety is a negative feeling, which is trying to alert you to keep you away from experiencing a different or separate negative feeling. So one more time. Yeah. The mic is breaking up. Is everybody able to hear me clearly? Yeah. Thumbs up if you could hear clearly. Not so good. No. One second. Let's fix this. Okay. One second. We're going to fix this. 10 seconds. Sorry. Do this. Thank you for learning us. All right. Able to hear? Yeah? Thumbs up? Okay, we're going to try. Okay, got a lot of thumbs up. So if you can't hear, then maybe it's like the volume, hopefully. Um, meaning not hopefully, but hopefully it's not like the overall picture here. But thank you for alerting us. Okay, everybody's good? We're good? Yeah, thumbs up. We're able to hear? Okay, wonderful. So one more time. So anxiety is actually a negative feeling. And the negative feeling of anxiety is there in order to warn you, to tell you that there's a future negative feeling that you should be aware of. You ask most people, why are you, why are you nervous? Why, why are you so anxious? What's going on? Right? So they say, I'm going on a date. I'm so, uh, so nervous. I don't know what's going to be. So what's going to be if you go on the date? A uh, guy, the guy might drop me. Uh, he might, he might, or he might be weird. He might, you know, might be at that end, right? Your, your concern, your, your nerves are there to try to like tell you, hey, you know, there's going to be a negative experience in the future. So you should just be aware of that. But rather than process that through and say, oh, cool. Okay, that's good to know. You know what maybe I should do? Maybe I should do a little bit more research into this guy before I say yes. You know, like maybe before I go into this business, deal, I should like look into who these partners are. Instead of doing that, most of us are like, I'm so anxious. I'm so nervous. I'm having a panic attack. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I'm like, Why? Because we get caught up in the, neg- in the negativity and that feeling in that, ang- in that anxiety. And we're like, I don't know. I'm so anxious right now. But what a healthy person should do is process that and say to their, t- say to their neshama, thank you. And recognizing what you're doing. You are essentially telling me that it's like a warning sign. In the future, there may be something that's negative. Beware. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Now let me do a little bit more research calm my nerves by putting into whatever I need to do into my own little world, I then go forward into this decision. What happens after the decision? So a girl was on a date, she comes back, and she slams the door, gets up her ice cream, gets up to her room, slams that door, locks the door, doesn't talk to anybody for three days, right? What is that feeling? That feeling is a feeling of regret. Oh my God, why did I say yes? I shouldn't have done that. I should have really spent more time. I should have researched it. Why did my parents say yes to this guy? It's all of those negative feelings postscript. It's the feelings afterwards that form regret. Now, regret is a very important piece of tshuva, of doing things different. When we think of tshuva like slapa novinu, but tshuva could just simply be breaking that pattern of anxiety being the negative feelings pre the warning signs and the post being the feelings of regret. Yeah? Everybody able to hear me there? Please give me a thumbs up. Good. Okay. So, pre-negative feelings in order to prevent something is called anxiety. Post-negative feelings after the fact to tell you, hey, 
don't do that again, those feelings are called regret. And essentially anxiety and regret are exactly the same thing. They are warning signs. One just comes before the act and one comes after the act. Most of us don't process it that way. We just process it like, oh my gosh, I'm so negative. Oh my gosh, I'm so anxious. I don't know what I'm feeling today. I'm feeling so down. We're getting like a surge of so many feelings, but in, a, in an altruistic world, that's what those feelings are. He says that there are many people who, because they don't process through this feeling the right way, they actually experience more negativity from the warning signs than from the negativity that the warning signs are warning them to avoid. So the warning sign is sitting there saying to you, hey, be careful because this guy seems like a creeper. Don't say yes to him. So right, that's what the warning sign is saying. And you're like, I'm so anxious. I, something's off, something off. And for three days leading up to the dent, you're, you're panicking. Then you go out with the guy and he actually is a creeper. But he just says to you at the end of the night, have a great night. See you later. All the best, right? And you come home, you're like, wow, this was a disaster. I'm saying no to him. The actual negative feeling that you had was, was very short. But what your warning signs that you process through oftentimes get much more severe and much longer duration than what you're actually trying to prevent. Does that make sense? Same thing when it comes to regret. Oftentimes you go through it, then you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so stupid. I shouldn't have done that. And it could take days, weeks, months, and even years sometimes of regret on certain actions because you didn't listen to the first warning signs. Now you have those second warning signs. Does this all make sense? So essentially, anxiety and regret. And I'm saying this more in English rather than getting into karata and all those things. Anxiety and regret. And I'm not a psychologist, so anybody here who's if, if, you, if you have something to email me, please email me at email at marriage4.co. But if you're a psychologist and you have like snippets of, of, of like case studies of patients who, um, you could share it, but, um, no, feel free to share it, but it's, it, uh, yes, I am not a psychologist. All right. So by disregarding warning signs, a person fails further and then has additional regret. And then oftentimes they have even more anxiety. So where does patience come in? This is the key is that what patience is, it is the skill that is sandwiched between anxiety and regret. It is taking the moment at the time that a person has to make a decision to say to themselves, what is my neshama telling me now? Rather than a person saying, hey, you know what? Let me just run into this deal, run into this state, make a decision and deal with the consequences later. Oftentimes, they'll regret it. This is the proactiveness where a person says to themselves, let me ask my neshama now how I feel. In almost every case where there's severe regret, there was a warning sign before. Oftentimes that we ran through. We ran through that warning. You saw it. You heard it. Like when you call somebody for a shit up, I don't want to talk tonight, but let's talk about that for a second. It's like you made the call, right? Somebody said to you, like, every time you asked about the mother or, or, or his temper, whatever it is, like, somebody mentioned or they alluded. And the warning signs were clear very often. But for some reason, we don't listen. And we just, like, brush it in. But it's okay. And that running to the stop sign is what led us into that decision. And then regret. Later, I'm like, yes, why did, why did I do that? I just wasted a whole night. Not severe regret. Regret. Why do you do that? You should have taken the minute to listen to those warning signs. Okay. Is everybody able to hear? If you're able to hear, please give me a thumbs up. If not so much, no? Yeah? Better? Is that better? 
Yeah, much better. Okay, wonderful. So we'll do that. We'll eat the microphone. All right. So, so the idea being one, one more time is that anxiety is the pre-negative feelings in order to prevent the negative feeling. The regret is the post-negative feeling, which is there in order to tell you, hey, don't do this again. And the middle, the patience, is the time where you stop. Because I never thought about it, thought about it like this. I always thought patience was something you just tell your children to do. But patience is not. It's the moment where you stop and you say to yourself, let me take the time to listen, to build, to think, to process. That is what's called patience. Yeah? Is everybody good? Some people, yeah, some people are posting that it's staticky. I just want to make sure. Okay, so I'm not going to address this again. Okay, I'm sorry if it's staticky on your end, um, but we're going we're gonna to pile ahead here. All right, so that is what it is. Now, um, I once spoke to an attorney who deals with um, a lot of, you know, cases where people are defrauded and have money issues and all these kinds of things. And he told me, he said, I can tell you that in almost 80% of my cases that I deal with, there was some sort of rush for money. A guy comes over and says, I need money tomorrow. I have a closing. There's this deal. And you're like, I can't even think. They don't give you the opportunity to stop and ask yourself, like, do I really trust this guy? Does he look trustworthy? Can I look at the numbers? Can I process what's going on? Instead, you just rush straight into this and you just say, yeah, I'm doing this, you know, because this is what I'm doing. There's a man. His name is Jack Ma. Jack Ma is one of the wealthiest people in the world. You may, may have heard of him. He runs the Alibaba Group. No? All right. Guy's worth a cool $43 billion. Okay? Now, Jack Ma, the guy, does not have any sons in the not in, not in BMG, that's for sure. Okay? So, Jack Ma, how he got started was he applied to some universities, and in the, I believe it was in the United States, and he was turned down from all of them. And he realized that he was, he was trying to succeed in life a little bit too fast. And the story goes that he would drive from his village to a hotel that was in central China, where he knew that there were a lot of English speaking tourists that were around. And Jack Ma would go over to people who, who, who were there and he would say, Hey, I'll make you a trade. I know this whole province, by the way, he would do this after biking 17 miles a day. He would bike 17 miles go up to this hotel and he would say, Hey, you look like you speak English. I'll make you a trade, okay? I will show you around this whole province. I'll give you a tour. All you have to do is talk to me in English. And Jack Ma did this for nine years. And after nine years, once he was able to speak English, able to read English, that was when he applied again to college. And he started his business. Now he was bilingual. He was able to converse in both languages. And he built up the Alibaba group. And again, he's worth $43 billion today. And the key to his success I would argue, is not based on the brilliance of what he, you know, what he did or, and, and his group. And if you actually look, him and Elon Musk had a, uh, they had a little bit of a debate where Elon Musk was like wiping the floor with him. He, like, he was like, nah, I don't, I don't like your ideas. You don't understand technology. He was really wiping the floor with, with Jack Ma. One of the, again, one of the most, I wouldn't say he's the smartest guy in the world, but in terms of patience and understanding that good things take a long time to come, that was something that he was able to tap in. And here's the, the last thing, simple concept. That we live in a world today where almost everything is instant. We have instant noodles, we have Jiffy Lube, you want your car, it has to be done within 10 minutes. We don't like waiting online for almost anything. And the way that we live our lives today is a very short distance. The initial feeling of anxiety, those negative feelings, it doesn't have to be anxiety, but those negative warning bells that go off in our mind, 
until we actually execute and make a decision is extremely tight time frame. And because of that quick turnaround, I would argue many people live with regret. And because they live with regret on small, it could be be anything. You order something on Amazon, you want goggles. In my day, my day, when I was a child back in Europe, yeah, we went to the sporting goods store. You looked at the goggles on the shelf, you picked one out and you went home with it. And that was your goggles. There was nothing else. And today you go online, the top seller, the most expensive, the ones people buying in your neighborhood, the ones you bought three weeks ago. It tells you, it's like so much information at the blink of an eye. You choose one, it comes to your house, you look at it, nah, I don't like this one, throw it back. We live in, in a day and age where things are so quick that even buyer's remorse, it happens to people multiple times a day. You're in it, you're out of it, return it, send it back. And again, Baruch Hashem, we live in those days, that, those days and days, it's fine, it's fine. That's, that's the lives that we live. But at the same time, woven through the fabric of our own midos, of our own midos, is very often subtleties of instant regret from instant decisions. And that trains our body and our brains that if you're bored for a second, rather than tapping into your neshama, you whip out your phone. If, if you're bored for a second, you can order $5,000 worth of goods in, in, in literally in seconds, right? We live in a time that things are so fast and so instant. You get a phone, it's not good enough three months later because it's, it's twice the speed and six times the ramp. Like you can't even process like so much better. It's half the price. I could finance this. Why not? My car, it was good, but you know, there's another one that's out. It's, it's better. I, I just got a car and like literally two days after it came out, they like, oh, you want next year's model? You want the next one? I'm like, come on, I just got this one. Like, can I, can I just enjoy what I have right now? And like, you start to think like, maybe I didn't make the right choice. Maybe I didn't make the right decision. I maybe mean, I should have waited a week and then I could have gotten onto the waiting list for the next one. There's, there's a, every second, there's something else that we're just grappling, grappling with that we just can't just stop. And just say to ourselves, right here, right now, I'm making this decision based on the available information, and I'm good. And the key to this whole thing that we just laid out, I would argue, is that anxiety and regret are not in our control. To a degree, it is to control it, but those feelings just come on mamela. It's involuntary. You make a silly decision, something will go off inside of you and say, hello, that was silly. But patience, stopping to ask your neshama, how do you feel right now? That is a virtue that is a skill. And it's not something that we're born with. And that's why we always tell our children to exercise patience. But it's even more important to not only exercise it as a child, but to develop the habits of somebody who's patient. To recognize that long-term sustainable growth usually happens through long-term investment. We We live in a world today, even money, even money is today, it's crypto, it's instant, you buy it. If you would have bought $10,000, I was making this judgment last night with my wife, you would have bought $10,000 worth of cryptocurrency, of Bitcoin, right? Eight years ago, you'd be worth like $400 million today. Like crazy, stupid amount of money that like you wouldn't even know what to do with that money. That money would just make you have even more regret of all the things that you'd be able to buy with, those, with that amount of money. But that's the world that we live in. Our brains are hardwired for instant gratification. And because of that, we have very little time to tap into ourselves to see how we're actually feeling. We therefore have a lot of regret. And therefore, when it comes to any decision, even if it's a small decision in our life, the first feeling that hits us is anxiety. Because we program ourselves to be failures on small little things. 
I buy this. I don't like it. So therefore, my decision was wrong. I had regret. I had to return. I had to slept through the thing. I wanted the person to take my order right then. They made me wait online for three people. Then I had to go order it again. Every single thing is inherent. There's like a thing that's threaded through where we don't stop for just a little bit and say, let's think this through. So I would suggest that maybe we'll spend in two weeks or now talking about the skills of how to get to the world of, of you know, patience. But I want to make one suggestion. Maybe, maybe, my own little thing I'm just thinking of now. Maybe. There's, sometimes there's the shortcut and there's the longer way to do something. You could watch the movie or read the book. Lahavdil. Of course, we should always only be watching Torah anytime. Okay? But you know what I'm saying? Like, you could do things where it's, it's so fast. In an hour, I can know, you know, a 500-page piece of information. Or I can slow down to process something. I can underline. I can highlight. I can make my own notes. I can get the information into my brain. And then I can walk. And I can think it through. I tell you, just I'll end with this, that I teach a lot of chasanim. And there are certain ideas that I teach that I myself have spent, I would say, it's going to sound weird. I sent, I spent over 10 years thinking through one idea, the depth of certain ideas. 10 years, not straight, obviously. You know, it wasn't like a kingdom from the mountains of Japan. And like, but like, literally, I, you know, I would think it through, like, how deep can we go with this idea? How deep can we go with this idea? And, and what about this? And what about that? And I teach it over, I teach it in, in seven, seven to 10 minutes, let's say. And a lot of chasanim that I teach, they hear it. And they go, oh, yeah, it's very nice. It's very nice idea. And I'm like, you're not, you're not understanding this. This is, this is an atom bomb. Like I handed you an atom bomb and we, it's so fast. It's like in and out, in one ear, out the other. And I'm like, no, you don't understand how this is pervasive. This idea is like a harmony of like the cosmos of the universe are, are, are within this one idea. Like if you understood how much this impacts your, your overall happiness, you would be dancing around the table right now. But we process it in such a fast manner that it almost has no relevance to our life. And my suggestion is that we practice patience when it comes to not waiting online and things that we tell our children to, but within ourselves, our decision-making process, whether it's a date or whether it's an investment or whether it's dealing with our own children or whether it's just processing information and let it soak and let it simmer and let it marinate. And today people are very into like meats and meat boards and all those things. They, they, we've learned very well how to let things sit and marinate that we're very good at. But like when it comes to ideas and things like that, it's, it's so fast. It's okay. On to the next, on to the next, on to the next. And if we do that, and hopefully we can develop this meter called patient. And if we develop some patience, we'll have less regret and less regret, less anxiety. We've just made the world a happier place. See you all in two weeks. Thank you all so, so much for coming. Have a wonderful, wonderful night. All the best. Take care. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.